0: We are in the book of Ephesians. Um, The book of Ephesians is written by a guy by the name of Paul. Paul is an apostle. He wrote a number of books in your New Testament. Um, The book that we're looking at was written to the people at a place called Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was kind of a messed up town. Paul spent a lot of time there and then eventually goes away. He's away for about four years, ends up in prison, and while he's in prison, he writes back. To this church to talk to them. Um, When the people at Ephesus became Christians, prior to that, they were in a a city that was uh, basically associated and and had a strong influence of witchcraft, um, the cultic kind of, of religions. And so a number of these people had that in their background when they came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so what Paul does is he writes the book of Ephesians, the first part of the book of Ephesians, he wants them to understand what happened when they became Christians. And so we've been talking about that. Um, Chapter 1, Paul talks about what happens in, in this thing called salvation, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he deals with the aspect of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And he says a couple of things about God. He says God blessed you. Uh, When you became a Christian, God chose you, God adopted you. He talks about what Jesus did, and he talks about the idea that Jesus um, forgave you. Uh, He redeemed you. Um, He showers his grace upon you. Then he talks about what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit helps you to understand the truths of the word of God, and the Holy Spirit does something they call seals you. He makes you his own, his own property and lives within you. And then we got last week to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Paul reminds them of what they were like before they became Christians. And Paul said, before you became a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. There's nothing you could do to to bring life out of your, uh, that would be pleasing to God. But he said, when God saved you, and he gives us three things at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, God, uh, when when God saved you, one of the things that uh, he did is he made you alive to God. And he raised you up. And he seated you in the heavenly places. And so we talked about the idea that in the mind of God, in the eyes of God, we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places and all that that means for us. Now, this morning, we're going to look at, at, at three verses, but two of the verses are very, very familiar to, to some of you who have been around Christianity for a while. But we're going to look at them in context of what we've been talking about, because Paul is going to continue on in chapter two, and he's going to be talking about this issue of salvation. And he wants us to have a really good foundation of what happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, with that in mind, we're going to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 8. And here's what it says. Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, so that no one can boast. And this is the verse we don't, we're going to spend actually a lot of time on today, but we tend to blow off for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do so let's just walk through it verse word by word phrase by phrase make sure we don't have any misunderstanding he says for it is by grace grace is unmerited favor grace is getting something that you really don't deserve um it is the idea we're in a culture which likes fair When it comes to God, you don't want fair, right? You don't want fair because fair would not have, when Jesus is dying on the cross and the thief cries out, um, wanting to be saved, fair would never have saved the thief. Fair would have condemned the thief. You don't want fair because in, in chapter two, verse one, he says, you're dead in trespasses and sin. You deserve to be separated from God. You don't want fair. You want grace. We all want grace. You know, um, you know when, 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 and it's been a while, so I'm trying to go for memory here. When an officer pulls me over for speeding, okay, I want grace, okay? Believe me, I don't want fair. I don't want him to say, okay, thank you, officer, for being fair. I'm like, officer, you know, I, you, know you come up with all kinds of excuses, you know. Um, he's doing his job. I mean, you know, she's doing her job, you know. You, get pulled, you, want, you want grace, right? And Paul says, look, when it comes to your salvation, it is by grace. And notice what he says. You have been saved. This isn't something that, that is a process that you work towards. It is something that's already happened, like we talked about last week. Paul says, when you became a Christian, God made you alive he rose you up he rose you as you were raised in him, and you're seated in the heavenly places. Those were all past things, things that happened in the past that God did and and Paul says, "Look, it is by grace you have been saved and then he adds on this that through faith that's the process that, that, that's how we come to know Christ. He said it is through faith. Faith involves a couple of things it, it involves this idea of knowledge, understanding that Jesus died on the cross for you, understanding that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Um, there's this, this mental knowledge that you have to have. And then there's this aspect of it where you have to agree with it, okay? Um, for, for instance, you know, you have to agree to the fact that, you know, if you want to sit here and say, you know, well, I'm not a sinner, I don't need God. I, uh, okay, first of all, all I got to do is ask your spouse, or anybody who knows you. And we can settle really quickly whether or not you're a sinner in need of a savior. All right? Um, but it, so there's this, there's this assent to it. Okay? But here's what's important. Okay? And this is, wh- this is where you need to understand this issue of faith. Knowing and acknowledging is not enough. Okay? You can know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. And you can acknowledge it. That's not faith. That's not enough. That's not, that's, you say, what do, what do you mean that's not faith? Here's why. The Bible say the devils believe in trouble. The Bibles under the, the devil, Satan, and his host, they understand Jesus Christ died on the cross. And they understand Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of mankind. That doesn't make them Christians. Because you see, faith involves a commitment aspect to it. It involves an aspect in which you act upon that which you know. There's this there's this commitment part of it on yours. I, I go back to, and I know, I know, I beat this to death, but this is probably the biggest, the the, the most clear illustration for me, is um, when I when I went skydiving. Okay, okay, you, you take a class and you learn about all the mechanics of skydiving. Basically, you learn that you can die. All right, that you are trying to defeat the laws of gravity. All right, um, that you are. Jumping out of a perfectly good airplane depending on nothing but nylon and string. Um, that's, that's what you learn. You learn all the things that can go wrong. You, you learn what to do and what not to do. You know, they teach you what to do if the first shoot doesn't work and then the second shoot and the third shoot. And they teach all that stuff. And you can know about all of that. And then what happens is you get in a plane and you go up into the air. And then at some point, you have to Commit. You don't skydive until you commit. Now, they tell you, look, if you decide you get up there and you chicken out, hey, you can come back down in the plane. We'll bring you back down. We're not going to force anybody out of the plane. We're not going to throw you out of the plane. You have to make the decision to step out and to let go. You know, first time Josh did it, it was awesome. I was sitting there watching. Um, um, and, uh, sec- it was the second time. It was the second time. First time, first time. We have, you hang on the strut, and then at some point when you're ready, you commit and you let go. And Josh let go, and they went. <laughs> and was like, uh, no, don't work like that. Um, you're kind of committed at that point, okay? When you let go, then you've let go. That's commitment. That's faith. Getting in the plane wasn't faith. It was a step towards faith. Understanding all the mechanics about skydiving wasn't faith. It was a step towards faith. Faith was, I'm gonna let go. I'm gonna trust it. I'm gonna trust everything I've got, I'm trusting in. Skydry. Now I understand for some of you that's not faith, that's stupidity, but that's another point. That's a whole other discussion. But the issue is this. The issue is when we talk about through faith, what we're saying is I'm trusting Jesus Christ for it all. It's that Jesus Christ and. That's what Aaron and Lori and What the Papatar had to deal with is that in, 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 the, in that Papatar in the, in, the, in the Papua New Guinea culture what they often did is they wanted to add more religion to whatever religion they had that way they kind of covered all the bases so you know they, they just kept adding stuff and, and the biggest issue Aaron and Lori have is going into the tribe explain to them it is about faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else and what Paul says here is you have been saved by grace Something God offered you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God decided to offer this to you because He blessed you and adopted you and, and chose you through faith and that not of yourselves. Words, there's nothing you can do for yourself about this. There's no way that you can do this on your own um, to get yourself to heaven. And He says, it is a gift of God, just like we talked about. It's a gift. All you do is accept it, you don't do anything for a gift. You know, um, you know, it's not like uh, it's not, you know, I don't I don't give my I mean, sometimes you do. I give my wife something in order to get something. Um, that's not the way it works with God. OK, you know, I'm like, you know, here's flowers. Can I go to the Harley shop? No, um, you know, it's that it's it's that, that that idea that God freely out of his grace, out of his love, because he has blessed you, offers you this incredible gift of salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's no way you can please him more. He just offers it as a gift, and he says, "Not of works, and nothing you can do for it." Because if you could earn it, then you're going to brag about it. And God has it set up so there's there's, there's, there's no pride in heaven. There's no you know you know I got here because I you know I preached or whatever else. Um, it's the idea that no one can boast about it, and then. He talks about verse ten, which we don't talk about a lot, and I really want to talk about today. And here's what he says: For we are God's handiwork. Literally, when the when Paul wrote this, the idea is we are God's poem. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. There's a word again in Christ. Why? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, the idea is, God is, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, through faith, because of his grace, what happens is, God starts writing a poem of your life. God starts creating this masterpiece of your life. And the purpose of that masterpiece, that purpose of that poem, the purpose of that handiwork, In in fact, it's fascinating. When you do a word study on this, this word actually goes all the way back to creation in Genesis. It's literally the idea of just as God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all those things in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, in the same way, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God starts creating a masterpiece with your life. That's what he's saying. And everything that God brings into your life and everything that God allows is part of him creating this incredible masterpiece that we call your life. And notice what he said. He says, you're created to do good works. The idea is that as people step back and look at your life, they see Christ. And they start to see God at work in your life, doing all of these things that they don't understand, but they know that it's God at work doing them. And God said, that's the plan. We talked about this in, in, in chapter 1, where he says, God chose you. God, God, before creation, before you ever thought of, God already had a plan for your life. And God says, I'm going to take your life now, and I want to make this incredible masterpiece out of it. For the world to see, so the world can see me in your life. And he's writing to these people at Ephesus, and he says, that's what God's doing right now with you. That's what God, that's the purpose of, of what God has orchestrated in your life. So with that in mind, a couple of, a couple of two takeaways for today. Um, here's the first takeaway. The first takeaway is this: you have to make sure that you personally have a faith in Jesus Christ alone, period. Now, I, I want to be explicitly clear here, Okay. And I don't want to be misunderstood, but I want to be explicitly clear here. What we're talking about here is putting everything, all of your trust, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're talking about coming to a place in your life where I go back to something in the 60s. In the 60s, D.J. Kennedy did a thing called Evangelism Explosion. And, and there was a lot of stuff that came out of the 60s. This was one of the good things. Um, but one of the things that happened is they were, they were trying to teach people how to share Christ with other people. And, and, and in, this, in this whole program there, there's a question, I think is the best question to ask when you're talking about this. And here's the question, it goes simply like this. If you were to die today and you stood before God, and God were to look at you and say, why should I let you into heaven? What is your answer? What is your answer? Because, you see, if that answer has anything to do with works, it's a wrong answer. It's a wrong answer. Well, I, I went to church all my life. Wrong. Well, I was a good person. Wrong. Well, I preached for 25 years. Wrong. Well, I I, I, I I joined this church, wrong. Well, I was confirmed, wrong. Well, I was sprinkled, baptized, poured, wrong. Well, my parents were good people, wrong. See, the only answer, acceptable answer to that question is, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Period. Period. Were all those things that I talked about good thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's great. You know, I mean, do, do I believe that? Do I believe that communion is important? Yes. Do we practice communion? Yes. Do I believe that communion gets me to heaven? No. Do we believe a person should be baptized after putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do we believe it's important? Yes. Do we believe it's the determination by which somebody goes to heaven? No. Do we believe that you should live for God? Yes. But I do those things because of, not in order to go to heaven. I do it because I'm a Christian. It's a natural outgrowth. It's a natural good work that comes because I have put my faith and trust in Christ alone. And it is so important that you realize that. For me, and and I want to be very careful here, okay? I want you to understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. So listen very, very carefully at this point. I can take you to the place that I prayed and said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And as best as I know how, Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart and to be my Lord and Savior. I can take you to that place. I can even tell you the date. That's not what I'm trusting in for my salvation. I'm trusting Jesus Christ. My faith and trust is in Christ and Christ alone. Christ plus nothing. My faith, my total commitment is into him because of what he did. Do I think it's important that, you know, do I think it's important that I I like the idea that there's a place at which I put a stake, so to speak? Um, but I'm not trusting the stake. It, it's written in the front of my Bible, one of my Bibles at home, my date and everything else. If I lose the Bible, I haven't lost my salvation, okay, because okay? I'm trusting Christ. And if God were to look at me today, and this was my last day here, and say, Jim, why should I let you in know? heaven? I'm going to say, because you said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm trusting you for my salvation. There's only one reason you let me into heaven. It's because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and I'm banking everything on that. That's it. You know, I'm not going to bring up the fact that I was a preacher. I'm not going to bring up the fact that you know I tried to do good. I'm not going to bring up the fact that I was baptized to communion, gave money, did this, went to church. None of that. It's about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. For by grace are you saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the most important question to make sure you settle. And I challenge people. You don't, look, it didn't need to be anything fancy. You know, for me, it was sitting in a metal chair in the back of a a, kind of a music room thing. um, One evening. Changed my life forever. Changed my life forever. But it was about Christ. Second thing. Now, it's going to take me a while to get here, but you just hang on. I, 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 I'm going somewhere with this, so trust me, okay, for a minute here. You are God's workmanship, God's handiwork, God's masterpiece. Now, I'm not a poetry guy, okay, but I am an art guy. I, I know some of you, I've just shattered. The last two weeks, I have shattered your world. First of all, you find out. You don't know if you can listen to me anymore because I don't like country music, Okay. You know, and some of you going, I don't know if I can listen to a pastor. I mean, I don't, I don't even know the guy's American. Um, you know, I mean, okay, I'm going to share your world even more now, okay? I'm an art guy. I love art. I love art. All kinds of art, okay? Um, I, by, by the way, I, I, okay, this doesn't fit. This is like the most insane rabbit trail I've ever gone down in a long time. Last week, remember, I was talking about resting in my easy chair. Vicky Colbaum caught me after service. Her and Kevin, we started talking. She goes, hey, I got a solution for your chair. Do what I did. So, what'd you do? She said, Kevin had this chair. She described it. She's like, I wanted to get rid of it. She said, so one day he went to work. I moved out in the driveway, put lighter fluid on it, set it on fire. <laughs> <clears throat> said, he came home. And Kevin goes, yeah, I came home. My chair's smoking in the driveway. And then he's like, I guess I had to get another one. Um, and I'm like, okay, Vicky, a great story. But anyway, I, I'm not suggesting that wives, okay? But anyway. Uh, I'm an art guy, okay? I love art. When I was in college, I worked in, a, I worked in an art museum. One of my jobs was, I was a guard. So I would go around, and I would, I'd be the guy dressed up in a suit, and I'd walk around and say, excuse me, you're a little close. Should you need to step back from that, please. Thank you. Um, you know, um, uh, excuse me, can you handle your children because they're getting a little too close. I mean, we had paintings. We had a Rembrandt, had a couple of Rubens. We had some expensive paintings in there. Later, I started working for the art gallery in the basement, and my job was to help the guy who did uh, frame restoration. When a painting would come in and we wanted a different frame, we would, he would be the wood carver who would actually carve it to match the frame if we needed to make it bigger or smaller. Um, I'd be the guy that would gesso it and gild it and stain it and all those kinds of things. Then I got into stained glass, where when glass windows would come in, I would help repair them. And so that's, that's my background, Okay. Um, so I, I really do have this whole side of me that really loves art and, and appreciates art. Um, here's one of my favorite paintings. Um, throw this one up. This is a Han horse. This is by a Dutch guy. Um, this is actually called, uh, it's the Holy Family of the Carpenter Shop. Um, the person working with a piece of wood is Joseph, and then that's Mary, and Jesus is the one holding the light. One of the reasons I appreciate this painting, one of the reasons I like this Han horse so much is because um, first of all, as a Dutch painter, um, in the 1600s, he was, he was known for his ability to use light. Um, and, and he's actually, he actually mastered it. I mean, he's well known for this, what really, in his style of painting, this became very, very important, was his use of light. Um, the religious connotations of this thing are incredible. It's one of the reasons, in fact, I, a reproduction of this hangs in my office, okay, a reprint of this hangs in my office here. But, um, in this Hanhorst, um, a couple of things because you have Jesus um, trying to please his father, so there's that religious idea. Secondly, you have Jesus as the light of the world, bringing the light to a dark place. Third, you have Mary helping Jesus so that he doesn't burn himself with the light, which is an incredible concept. Um, but aside from the religious connotation of this picture, it is a phenomenal reflection, a phenomenal. Um, deal in the art world with regards of how uh, this Dutch painter reflected light okay Um, this past week we took my mom to the airport my wife and I because it's been a crazy year for us and so we haven't really had any time together so I said look well let's drop her off the airport let's spend the night um, in Omaha and we'll just we'll spend Tuesday running around Omaha we'll find stuff to do when we do that we kind of have a That we do, and one thing is she gets to pick something that that I have to do without complaining, and I don't fulfill that very often, but I I do it, and then I get to pick something that we get to do, and she has to do it without complaining. That's that's how we do it. That's our little thing, and she picked bobbing um, in Omaha, which I tried to explain it in Sunday school. Basically, it's walking across the John Kerry Bridge, standing with one foot in Iowa, one foot in Nebraska, taking a picture. And saying that you were bobbing in Omaha, which I think is insane. Because if you're going to have to walk across a bridge, there should be an ice cream shop at the end. And then you could turn around and walk back to another ice cream shop at the other end of it. But anyway, she wanted to do that. We did it. Um, I got my little .9K sticker that we bobbed in, in Omaha. I chose to go to the Joslin um, Jocelyn Art Museum. Driven past her for 26, 27 years. Never been, and I said, uh, well, actually longer than that. And I said, you know, we've never been. I said, let's go. Uh, they had a having a light like glass, and they had a Chihuly exhibit I'd never seen, and saw so, a Chihuly piece I'd never seen. So I wanted to go see the Chihuly piece, and I was I was floored. I was absolutely floored. They have over eleven thousand pieces of art, uh, and uh, eleven thousand pieces in their collection. I mean, it's not all displayed. If you know, art gallery rotated or not. Um, everything from um, early, uh, the icon period all the way up to contemporary stuff. And they have a very large collection of western stuff. And, um, but I was really interested in the, the renaissance type paintings. That's, the, that's my thing. And I'm trying to learn a little bit about contemporary stuff. So anyway, so, so we did this and it was pretty cool. And I was really, really impressed. Here's one of my favorite paintings that I saw there. Um, this is by, by this one, uh, throw that up, next one up, guys. Uh, this is by a guy by the name of Jerome. Um, it's a fairly small painting. Um, this guy actually, early, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, or 1900s. Um, uh, what he's, what, what's amazing about this painting is, um, the, first of all, the colors. The colors are incredible. Um, I mean, when you walk in the gallery, this is one that actually almost like jumps out of the wall at you because the colors are so bright. And if you know anything about older paintings, a lot of times they're not that way. Um, and then... The, the, the idea that, that in such a small place he has such tall stuff is, is, is incredible, okay? Um, and so this is a, a Jerome piece um, that was there that, that, that kind of struck me. I thought this was kind of cool. It's one of my favorite pieces that I saw there. Uh, and, and it's a lion that, or a tiger thing that died and the whole guy's mourning him and all that kind of thing. Um, but it, it's kind of a cool piece. Um, and for some of you... Um, what God is doing is he's creating with your life the Hanhorst or Jerome. He's creating, bringing out things in your life. Um, maybe you've got a life that's kind of dark and he's highlighting some of the highlights of it like Hanhorst did so well. Or maybe you've got some really cool things in your life that grab everybody's attention and so your life is kind of like this Jerome painting where, where there's some things that really, really stand out. For some of you, here's a painting that represents your life. Um... This is, a, this is a Jackson Pollock painting. Okay, um, He's a modernist, abstract kind of guy. He was, really became known for his drip paintings. Um, he actually revolutionized the art world because for the first time he took um, paintings and took them off of easels and put them onto floors and painted over top of the painting rather than looking at the painting. Um, he became known really for his uh, he had a lot of bizarre ideas Um, one of the things is he stopped giving paintings names and he gave them numbers so all of his paintings have a number because he said if I give it a name it it leads you down a road to think a certain way about a painting and I don't want you to do that I want you to interpret it all on your own he was known for his drip painting many of you are going my little child, my grandchild does that Um, splashing paint on it well here's what you should know Um, This particular painting in 2004 sold for $140 million. Some of you are going, I'm going to be an artist. Um, Now, here's what you need to understand. There are people who saw value and beauty in this. You and I see this as a hot mess. That's my point. My point is that some of you look at your lives and you look at what God's doing in your life and you just see a hot mess. But God says, I have beauty and value even in that hot mess. And I can use that hot mess to show to the world things that have beauty and value. You wouldn't pay $140 million for this. I wouldn't pay $140 million for this. I'd just go buy my little granddaughter a whole bunch of art thing, throw a canvas on the floor, and say, splash away, baby. Um, but when you study a little bit about, and I'm trying to learn about these guys, but when you study guys like Pollock, one of the things that you start to learn is, believe it or not, when he went to create this piece, he had a plan in mind. He knew what colors he wanted where. He knew the overall shape of, uh, of what he wanted and what he was trying to design and stuff like that. I don't know what it was, but he did. He had a plan in mind to create these pieces, and his pieces are just crazy numbers. And there's a lot of things about, they're, they're trying to be counterfeited, and so there's a, lot of, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, uh, group that does nothing but authenticate actual Jackson Pollock paintings because of the value of them. Because you and I look at it and we go, this is a hot mess. That's just a bunch of paint splatter. No, 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 in the art world, there are people who see value and beauty in this. Here's my point, and now I'm going to drive all I'm going to tie it all together, so thanks for hanging on here. Some of you are going through life, and you want your life to be a Hanhorst or Jerome. And this is what's turned out to be. and you're frustrated because you don't understand what God's doing. Ephesians chapter 2, you are his workmanship. You are the masterpiece that he is creating. It may not be the masterpiece that you have in mind. You know, I mean, if you gave me the choice between hanging this in my office or hanging the honours to my office, I'm going to hang the honours. That appeals to me. That speaks to me far louder than this does. But yet there are contemporary art people... Who would get one of these? It's like, it's like when we, I'm a big glass guy. I love glass. There's something about glass that fascinates me. And one of the one of the most uh, prominent glass artists right now is a guy by the name of Chihuly. Um, and so when we went to the art museum shop, I could not, they had a couple of Chihuly pieces in there. that. You know, I mean, it's done by his, his people. I get all that. Um, but it's actually a Chihuly piece. I could not convince my wife that she needed to buy me a $6,100 they globe thing, you know. She thought that was ridiculous. Um, I see incredible billionaire. It's like that's a honey, that's a Chihuly piece. I don't care if Jesus made it himself. We ain't spending sixty hundred dollars on it. You know? Um it, it was one of those ideas, you know. Um and so but again, that's just my thing. But there are people who look at this and they see beauty and they wouldn't give anything to, to own something like this because it speaks to them. It, it, they learn things from it. And you go, you go, I don't get all that. I don't get all that either. But I do get this. If every painting in the world looked like a horse, it would be a boring world in the art world. One of the great things about the art world is so varied. And there are some really, I thought there's some really stupid things there, but there were some really, really, really cool things. Even the contemporary thing, I thought there's some really cool stuff there. I say that to say this. Some of us get this impression that our life has to be this certain way to go out into the world. And you're wanting your life to be the hon horse, you know, the Facebook page that you see where everything's, everybody's always happy and it's the perfect family and the blah, 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 blah. And you're like, man, I don't want to post any pictures of our dysfunctional family on Facebook. I mean, you know how messed up we are, you know. And you get that impression sometime, And you get that impression of, you know, you go to the reunion, you don't want to tell anybody about, you know, just how messed up everything really is. Because you're wanting it to be the hon horse the It looks more like a Jackson Pollock painting. There's incredible value. And there's incredible beauty in this. You just don't see it. I just don't see it because I don't understand or appreciate it that way. There are people who look at your life that you think is the hot mess and see value and are learning and see beauty in it. And they see Christ in it. Because God is creating a masterpiece with your life. And you're going to have to learn to trust him that he knows what he's doing. And you're going to have to understand that, you know what, one of the reasons he saved you is to take your life and bring the beauty of Christ and God in it, in this masterpiece that he's creating, and take it out into a world where they can see Christ in you. And your life may look like this. That's okay. The goal is for people to see Christ in you. Just like the goal when he creates one of these paintings, is for somebody who can appreciate it, to see the beauty and to see the value and to see the idea that if he had put this on a, if he had put this up on an on a, on a, on a easel, it would have never looked like this. It's impossible to paint like that on an easel. He had to reinvent how they painted he had to reinvent how they use colors. He's known, actually, for drip painting. And he, takes, he learned what kind of brushes and what kind of things created, what kind of drips and what kind of splatters and what kind of lines and whether he wanted them thick or thin and what colors went with what. And so if you look at some of his paintings, some of them have dark stuff and light stuff and color. But he, he actually, because I looked at it and I thought, you know, what does he do, you know? Get drunk and just throw paint all over the floor, you know? Come to find out he actually had a plan when he created this stuff. You know? And what I would say to you this morning is this. Look. When God saved you, he took your life and he's creating a masterpiece. You've got to trust him. Because you are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. And he wants the world to be able to see Christ in you. And there are some people who will be able to appreciate it, and there are some people who won't. But the people that he's put into your world, he's put into your world so they can see Christ in you. I end it this way this morning. As we go throughout the week, two main focuses. Paul explains to him that we must trust Christ and nothing else for our salvation. It is a gift from God that we receive by faith. Once saved. God starts working and writing his story in and on our lives. It is our responsibility to share that story, that masterpiece with the world so that they can see Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's so easy for us to think that everything has to be a certain way. Lord, it's so easy for us to get all wrapped up in the things that aren't going the way we want them to go. Lord, it's so easy for us in our world to only focus on the negative or that which is wrong. Lord, help us to see that you are at work in each of our lives creating something beautiful and something valuable. Lord, for those who have, made, have never trusted you as Savior, Lord, they're trusting something else. Lord, open their eyes, open their hearts. Help them to see what you have clearly said in your word, that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. There is no way to God but through you. Use us. And may people see Christ in us this week. These things we ask in your name.